In other words, because God is wiser than us and we believe this, we will surrender to him our thoughts, our feelings, our plans, our actions. Because we believe God to be good, we surrender ourselves to him because we believe that everything that he does is for or allows is for our good. And because we believe that God is powerful, then we give ourselves to him. We submit our lives to him knowing that our lives in his hands are in the best place that they can be. So I want to just repeat exactly what I just said to you in a little bit more clear form. Faith will acknowledge that God is, first of all, all loving. We cannot have faith in someone that we are not convinced loves us. That God is also all-knowing. We cannot have faith in God if we are not fully convinced that he is all-wise, that he is wiser than us. And we cannot have faith in God if we are not convinced that he is all-powerful. And so, if you trace in your life, and if I trace back in my life this week, and I look at all the different times in which I fell, it was because I was not convinced in one of these three things. I didn't believe that God had the power to relieve me from my temptation or my struggle. I did not believe that God had the desire to do so. Or I did not believe that God was smart enough to allow me to fall into the situation that I was in and to bring me out of it. And so, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. It is because we lack faith that we sin. And what is faith? Faith is believing God, that he loves us, and that he knows best what is for our good, and then that will cause a response, and that response is a response of surrender. This parable, by the end, will hopefully show us that the problem that we have today, the challenge that we face in our lives too many times throughout the week, is that we do not know God, that the first thought, the first thought that comes to our minds whenever we're facing challenges, whether they are challenges of success or failure, is that we are not uh, disciplined. We have not developed the habit to think God first. And uh, they asked me for a title and I put toward God because I was nervous because Mary said, I need your title. But if I had time to rethink, I would change it to think God you know, because of that advertisement for the uh, Think Different advertisements. So let's have a word of prayer and let's get into our study. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll be with us as we open your word, that you would bypass all human instrumentalities and that you would speak directly to our hearts and give us a message that we need today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's try to explore this parable together here. The Bible says, that there is a parable, this parable in verse 16 is a parable of a man who is rich. And notice here, a lot of times we uh, think immediately, this is the parable of the rich, foolish man. And maybe even our Bibles, no, my Bible doesn't say that. Maybe yours does. At the top you have those little uh, uh, titles. And this is known as the parable of the rich fool. But notice there that the parable is not just a parable about a man, but it is also a parable about what, everyone? Do you see it there in verse 16? It's a parable about the ground. Do you see that there? It says there was, uh, uh, in verse 16, it says, the ground of a certain rich man. This is not just a story about a man, 
By the way, the Bible says that this man is a rich man. But it's also a story about the ground of a rich man. And notice here what happens in the story that Jesus is telling. He's saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The story says that we have a man, we're introduced to him as a man who is rich. In addition to that, he has some sort of property. And on that property, the ground of that property, for some reason unbeknownst to him, put forth plentiful fruit. Right? Verse 17 says that when he saw this, this unexpected blessing, this unexpected production, this unexpected income, that the man began to have a conversation with himself. Now you know immediately this guy has lost his mind. He's beginning to talk to himself, right? He's at that level, at that point. He says, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? The Bible says that this rich man has this ground. This ground brings forth plentiful fruit. And now, because of this, this individual has a problem. The problem that he has is that he's not prepared for the success that he's receiving. He's not prepared for the abundance that he is now coming to. And so he begins to think within himself, what am I going to do to solve this problem? Now, if this guy had contacted Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey would have given him seven baby steps. Right? He would have said, you're in baby step number whatever, three right now. Right? And according to Dave Ramsey, uh, he would begin a plan to get out of debt and then to uh, pay for his house and then to uh, save up a little bit of money and then to have wealth and then to uh, live happily ever after without any debt and credit cards. All right. So he has a problem because he, he came across a bunch of money and he begins to think to himself and he says, what shall I do? The problem that I have is that I have no room where to bestow all my fruits, everything that I have. Now, when we, uh, when, when us poor people, when we come across this passage, we have all the answers. You know what he should have done? This is what I would have done if I was him. I would have uh, given it to the poor. And, you know, this is why this man is so selfish. He doesn't think about others. He only thinks about himself. Why does he go and build bigger barns? He has so much he doesn't know what to do with. Why doesn't he give it away? And so this is the kind of advice that automatically comes to us, right? And then I, I wish I would have brought some pictures to show you. And then as I was reading this, I started thinking to myself, man, how many home improvements have I done in my house over the last year? And I started thinking to myself, how come I buy cars whenever they break down? Why don't I buy a bike instead and then use the rest of the money that I would use and give that away to someone who doesn't even have a bike to get to work and has to walk to work? And um, I started thinking to myself, how come I continue to buy new clothes when there are people that don't have any clothes at all? And I began to realize that if I was in this man's situation, I would not be any different because I break down old barns and build new barns every week. And so I began to kind of think, maybe 
this parable is speaking to me. Many times we have problems. And the problems that we go through are designed to help us to think about God first and foremost. Notice what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. We have here not just a proverb, but we actually have a promise. A promise that is given to individuals who take God serious. God seriously. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your substance. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. And so shall your barns be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. The promise is this, that when we honor God and when we uh, understand that what we receive is really his, and we give him of the first fruits. You know, you had the farming community back then, and so they would plant a seed, and they would plant for a harvest, and the first fruits of the harvest, the very first things that were produced, they would give that as an offering to God, saying, God, because you have given me these first fruits, I know that you will give me a bountiful harvest. And so this was an act of faith to give God the very first fruits of your harvest. And so he says, uh, Proverbs here says, honor God with your substance, with your means, with your, uh, with your possessions, and give him of the first fruits. Acknowledge him in the blessings that you receive. And he says, and the promises, the conditional promises, that you will have barns that are filled and presses that are overflowing. One could argue that this promise is being fulfilled to this rich man in Luke chapter 12. In other words, he is receiving, he is receiving the fulfillment of that promise that is given to us in Proverbs. His barns are filled, his presses are running over. And now he has a problem and he does not know what to do with this challenge that he's facing. But when you look closely at what he does... He actually does a very smart thing. I don't think Luke does not have a problem with the, the, the folly of his investment. Notice what he says here in verse 18. And he said, this is what I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease eat, drink, and be merry. Normally we have a problem with that eat, drink, and be merry because we think this is a bad thing to do. But if we were to put it here in a modern context, what this man said is this. He said, what I have right now does not fit in the barns that I currently have. If he leaves his harvest outside, it will either be eaten by animal. He'll lose it. It'll rot in some way, shape, or form. He's not going to have it. And so he determines that what he will do instead is that he will tear down what he has and he will upgrade it. We're, we live in a society of upgrades, right? We want to upgrade our phones. We want to upgrade our computers. We want to upgrade our houses and our cars. This man is just upgrading. 
He tears down his house, he puts it up, and he says he reaches a point where he acknowledges that he has enough to live off of for, the Bible says there, for many years. Now, um, I have a few friends that are financial advisors, and from time to time they'll give me free advice. And one of the, uh, one of the things that all have said to me is this, that if your employer is willing to give a certain percentage of matching funds to your retirement, they say you should match those funds. If your employer gives you 3%, you should match that 3% because if you don't, you are walking away from free money. That's what they'll all say. And so if your employer is willing to match 3% and you're only putting 1%, then these financial advisors will tell you you're not being smart with your money. You're leaving 2% of the table. Why is it that we want this kind of information? Or why is it that we want this kind of careful planning? We want this kind of careful financial planning because we want to reach a certain point in our experience, which for me, for me, I hope it's within the next 10, 20 years, where we can say, I can quit work and I can be retired. This is the American dream. To reach a place where you no longer have to work, but you can live as comfortably as you're living now. This is why we pay people a lot of money to tell us how we should save it, right? Because we want to reach an age in our lives where we can say, I don't have to go to work anymore and I can still maintain the lifestyle that I have. So if we were to ask Dave Ramsey, without him knowing that this was the ritual of Luke chapter 12, what this man should do with his money, he would probably tell him, put them in bigger barns. Make sure you have a comfortable retirement. Take care of your years in the end so that you don't have to struggle and you can live a good life. This is not just something that he would tell us, but this is something that within each heart that is human, this is what we long for. We long for the place, for the time, when we don't have to worry about finances and we can live a comfortable life. And so why do we hate on this man so much? This man is doing what every other human being would do. And that's what I realize as I read what he begins to do. This is actually what I'm doing right now. I'm trying to save money so I can get to the place where I can say, soul, you have enough for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, be merry, enjoy life. But God says to him in verse 20, some of the most damning words in scripture. You fool. You fool, he says. God calls this man a fool. But why is this man a fool? Is he a fool because he's mismanaging the funds that God has given to him? Is he a fool because he's using his money foolishly like the man in Luke chapter 15? He's not a fool for any of these reasons. He's a fool because he's unaware of the fact that after he reaches his retirement, with still many years to go, he's unaware of the fact that he's soon to die. 
And this is why he's foolish. Because he's making preparations for a long future, not knowing that his life is not going to be as long as he planned for it to be. As a matter of fact, it's going to be drastically shorter. The reason why this man is building for many years is because, according to his calculations, he's going to live many years, right? You're not talking here about an old, old person that is thinking to themselves, you know, I only have a few years to live. I'm going to try to build wealth. You're talking about a person who thinks to himself, you know what, I'm still very young, I'm healthy. I can retire early and I can enjoy life. I'm going to make good use of the funds that I've received. He's planning on living many years. And so he makes plans for living for many years. Unaware of the fact that he is soon to die. And the implication is this, that had he known when he was going to die, he would have made different kinds of preparations. Had he known what he did not know, he would have behaved differently. In some situations, knowing that you have a short life ahead will not change how you might live. Right? If you know that you have a few years to live, if you know that you have 10 years to live or so, that still might not prevent you from purchasing a home, purchasing a car. Your life might not be dramatically altered. But there are some situations when you know that your life is about to end and you will make dramatic changes in the rest of your life, for the rest of your life. Isn't that true? We found out a couple of years ago that my father had cancer. And when we went to the doctor, the doctor said to us, your father has a very short time to live. When we received the news that he had a short time to live, there are certain things that we changed and certain things that we did not change. Even though we knew my dad was about to, to die, I didn't quit my job. I still need money to live myself and to take care of my family. But we made drastic changes in other things. We realized he had a short time to live, and so we went on a family trip together. We tried to make as much as possible the rest of his life enjoyable. And so we made dramatic changes, knowing that his life was soon to end. In some situations, the point is, when we know things that we don't know now, we begin to make drastic changes in the way we live. And had this man known that he had but a short time to live, he would have made different changes in the way he invested his money. Let's look at a few important details of this parable. First detail is that the ground of a certain man is what brought forth plentifully. This man was rich, yes, but it was the ground that brought forth the fruit plentifully. In other words, in this specific situation, he had nothing to do with the wealth that he received in this particular situation. The ground produced, God was the one who sent the sunshine and the rain. The earth was what produced the fruit. He had nothing to do with the problem that arose. 
He was not the source of the problem. The problem just kind of happened to come by him. The problem was not a human problem, but it was instead a divine problem. God is the one who brought him across this situation in his life. But there was a challenge in the way he addressed the problem. And that is that in the rest of the parable, you do not have any mention of God at all. But instead, you do have a significant mention of the man himself. Did you see that there? Did you read that? He says, and he thought, verse 17, to himself, and he said, this is what I will do. I will build, 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 build bigger barns, and there I will put all my fruits. In other words, if you read the parable, what this man is focusing on is himself. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put my stuff in these things, and I'm going to live my life this way. Many times in our experience with God, we fail to take him into consideration. And the point of the parable is this, that the smart thing for the Christian to do is to think God. Why? Because it is only God who knows the future. Because it is only God who knows who we are. Because there are blind spots to the way we live. Because there are blind spots to the way we think. Because we are a blind to many aspects of our lives. In other words, we do not know how to take care of ourselves. And the moment we understand that, we have made the best investment of our lives. The moment we understand that we cannot take care of ourselves, whether in failure or in success, that is the moment that we become the wisest of all people. And so God says, you fool. You fool to not take into consideration the God who knows everything, the God who loves you like no one else does, and the God who has the wisdom to teach you how to manage your life. And so our prayer should be, take my life and let it be. Consecrated completely, wholly to thee. Take everything that I have and use it at the impulse of your will. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. This is the counsel of Scripture. The counsel of scripture is that we do not have the ability to manage our own lives. We do not have the ability to manage our own lives because we cannot see the end from the beginning. And there's only one person that can. And that person is a person who loves us the most. The person who has all power. And the person who has all wisdom. And so let us give our lives every aspect of them to that person. That is my prayer for you and for me. Amen. Amen.